Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is Famous and Gravy, a podcast about quality of life as we see it, one dead celebrity at a time. This person died in 2021, age 57. Beginning in 2007, he appeared regularly on the Nickelodeon show, Yo Gabba Gabba. That's that weird show with all the crazy characters. I had Adam Schlesinger. Not Adam Schlesinger. He collaborated with artists such as the Beastie Boys and Will Smith, and occasionally performed on film and television shows. Uh, Steve Burns is not dead is the problem. Yeah. And also not a Beastie Boy related. He appeared in the 2002 movie Men in Black 2, in which he played an alien who is disguised as a postal worker and communicates with Will Smith's federal agent character via beatboxing. Ah, you really really got this for me, huh? (laughs) Uh, I remember the Will Smith beatboxing. Art. <laughs> yeah. Who was who was the DJ Jazzy Jeff? Not DJ Jazzy Jeff. At a time when other MCs rapped about street gangs, hustlers, radical politics, or police brutality, he brought a lighter approach to hip hop, rapping about a beloved Brooklyn mall, the pleasures of nose picking, and the inspiration that came to him while he was sitting on the toilet. Oh, uh, Biz Marquis. Okay, okay, hold on, Biz Marquis. Would this be Bismarcky? Today's dead celebrity is Bismarcky. There it is. <laughs> I want to talk about just a friend. Everybody said the record was garbage, it was whack. I even tried to get my man Swan to sing the hook. The you, you got what I need, right? Nobody wanted to sing the hook. I said, shit. I gotta sing this myself. <laughs> but eight million records later, if you believe in yourself, anything will be achieved. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. I'm Michael Osborne. And I'm Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we choose a celebrity who died in the last 10 years and review their quality of life. We go through a series of categories to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question. 
Would I want that life? Today, Biz Marquis died 2021, age 57. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Biz Marquis, the innovative yet proudly goofy rapper, DJ, and producer, whose self-deprecating lyrics and off-key wail on songs like Just a Friend earned him the nickname Clown Prince of Hip Hop, died on Friday. He was 57. First reaction is I love it. I do too. There's a lot of praise in here. Yeah, I'd like to ask Michael that we do something different, that we go sentence by sentence. This is actually one sentence, but do you mean clause by clause? Clause by clause, correct. Innovative yet proudly goofy? Love proudly goofy. Love innovative, (laughs) right? So I love the contrast there because he was definitely a whole new style. Yes. And the proudly goofy was such a contrast to what was rising on the West Coast throughout what we remember 80s rap to be. And, I mean, in a way, rap to this day. I mean, there's not a whole lot of proudly goofy rappers overall. I think we'll get into this as the conversation goes on. But there's a lot of ways in which this sort of territory that he carves out as being proudly goofy really distinguishes him from other rappers then and now. Proud is important. Proudly goofy is very different than just being performance (laughs) goofy. Okay, next clause. Okay, producer whose self-deprecating lyrics and off-key wail on songs like Just a Friend. Yeah, self-deprecating, I think, in isolation doesn't sound so good. Yeah. Is proudly goofy and self-deprecating, are we being redundant here? No, I don't think so. I think proudly goofy was the lifestyle and the whole presence of the biz on stage, on mic, as DJ. It was all the character of Biz Marquee. Self-deprecating yeah. is, you know, rap and hip-hop as we know it is prideful, Right? He, yeah, right? Some of his biggest hits were like love-torn songs. I mean, they really did have to call out Just a Friend because there is the one-hit wonder sort of label or association with Bismarcky. I think people could point to other things he did, cameos or appearances or collaborations, but in terms of solo songs, a lot of people know Just a Friend and don't know anything else in the catalog. Yeah, and the off-keyness of it is what makes it so memorable and so popular. Amen to that. And then finally, nickname Clown Prince of Hip Hop. How do we feel about that nickname, Amit? I like it. I mean, he was a man of infinite nicknames. I wrote some down. The Diabolical One, you'd hear him refer to the Diabolical Bismarcky. The mm-hmm. Inhuman Orchestra, I love that one. Inhuman Orchestra? I didn't, yes. <laughs> what does that mean? It just means that he could produce orchestral sounds with his mouth was a beyond human capability. I like to introduce myself my name is Bismarcky. My name is Bismarcky. I don't know. Human beatbox and rap king. Now, these are all very good. All right, well, Clown Prince is kind of, on one hand, it looks like he's fully embracing it. On the other hand, you know, is it covering up an insecurity? I don't know. And I guess, like, anybody who calls himself the Clown Prince, I'm willing to sign off on it, but it does uh, give me pause. Oh, yeah, no doubt. There's insecurity in any class clown, whether you're doing that at at 14 years old or in your 50s. Um, And we will get into that. All right, well, so let's give it a grade. I think we're both pretty high on this. I've got a question. I I forgot at the beginning. Did they attribute his proper name, his birth name? No, and I I lost it. Sorry, should I look it up? Uh, uh, I got it. Marcel Theo Hall. 
They did not. They go by his stage name, Bismarcky, in the New York Times. Huh. It doesn't say Marcel Theo Hall, better known as Bismarcky. So we were um, cool with that on Muhammad Ali that they didn't say born Cassius Clay. I'm a yeah. little uh, befuddled on this. Yeah, Fred Curly Neal, you know, he got the quotes. Uh, mean Gene Okerlund, but that was just an addendum to his full name. My hunch, and I don't know, and I'd really like to talk to an obit writer at some point about this, is that they are honoring how a person liked to be identified in their life. Okay, so for me, omission maybe on this obituary is contribution. Is, ah, yeah. You know, influence and contribution of how much he appeared everywhere. You know, yes. in cameos on other albums, co-performing with other people, the man was ubiquitous. And I didn't yeah. know all of this prior to the research for this episode. And I think right. that's a little missing mark for me. Well, how much are you going to dock it? I'm going to dock that one point. So Bismarcky or Marcel Theo Hall's obituary, I will give a nine. I think I'm also going to go a nine, Amit. I was going to give a half point for not including the full name. That does feel like the kind of thing you're supposed to do, actually. But listen, man, our job is to set a high standard. That's right. You know? Yeah, well, nine's a very damn good score. It's not quite perfect, but it's it's right there. Yeah, so I'm applauding you for the deduction. Oh, you good know, deal. We want perfection and legacy here. Isn't that right? Quick programming note. Amit, you're a little under the weather today, correct? I am. Good for you for, uh, for coming here up. and getting me sick. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> um, right. We've taken appropriate measures. We've taken appropriate steps. All right. Category two, five things I love about you. Here, Ahmed and I work together to come up with five reasons why we love this person, why we want to be talking about them in the first place. I can lead, you can lead. I'm pretty easy. Uh, I don't mind leading. So number one, I'm going to go created the perfect sing-along. Oh. <laughs> so you're calling Just a Friend the perfect sing-along? Yeah, and I'll go into that. And not only Just a Friend, but the man was a sing-along artist. And I can mm. list a few examples. So let's start with Just a Friend. You okay. know, that song is still, if that goes on at a bar at 1 a.m. right now, you will yeah. still have the entire bar singing. And yeah. it's accessibility, it's sadness, and the off-keyness is what everybody loves about it. I mean, it is a country song disguised as hip-hop. Oh, interesting. Right? It's about like a forlorn lover, and I think it's got the same appeal and the same heartstrings as Friends in Low Places. With country that song. song designed as—that's really good, Ahmed. I agree. I, You know, so— to say a word about Just a Friend for a minute, uh, this cracks me up. If you go to Wikipedia, I'm going to read what it says. The single Just a Friend, in which he alternates between rap and singing, and singing is in quotes. Why is singing in quotes here? You got what I need, but you say he just a friend, and you say he just a friend. Oh, baby! He is absolutely singing. He's not necessarily singing well, but... Wait, what you're saying is, like, whatever Wikipedia editor did this was like, eh, I'm not going to give it, like, <laughs> yeah, singing, exactly. but it's... Exactly, singing. and I mean... So, yeah, so that's it, yeah. the sing-along, but there's more to that, too. I mean, the man was a sing-along artist. If you look at Vapors, I love that video. Yeah. I rewatched it, the opening of it, and we'll show notes this, is, you know, him snapping his fingers and then, like, started uh, rapping a little bit and then getting everyone to snap their fingers and singing along. The man uh, the man could control the crowd. Yeah. And he could get a crowd moving, and that is lovable. Marley Marl, I I think, told this story about how Bismarck Key, like, came to his office one day and was, like, waiting in the hallway, and there was all these people hanging out. And then all of a sudden, he just hears all these people singing along. And the biz had, I guess, that energy about him and the way that he kind of rapped, you know, sort of slowly and accessibly and brought you in. This idea of 
country and hip hop really is resonating with me with Bismarcky. And the last bit of trivia I'll throw in that is he did cover Johnny Paycheck's Take This Job and Shove It on the Office Space bonus CD. One of the things I think is Just a Friend is a goofy song, right? And everybody in their heads listening to this conversation is probably going, you! Right, yeah. like, like you want to do it, as you said, it's it's got this sing along quality to it. At the same time, the message of that song is awesome. Like yes. it so speaks to an adolescent experience of you know I'm really into this girl, and this is the most devastating thing she could possibly say. I'm great in all these ways, and she wants me as just a friend. It's actually slightly different. It's it's he pined for this girl, and she's got this guy. And he yeah. keeps seeing signs of this guy that's around. And she's saying, oh, he's just a friend. In the sense that, like, you've got potential with me. This guy, don't worry about him. He's just a friend. And so the despair that he's feeling is like, I'm being fucked with. You know, like, yeah. I'm throwing my heart out and I'm giving it to this woman. And she actually has somebody else, but it's dragging me along and it's breaking my heart. Whatever side of that love triangle you're on, the words just a friend are always devastating. It's correct. That's such a perfect phrase for being lovelorn. That was going to lead to my number two, if I can take it. So I do think that there is this goofball quality, but he, I mean, he's also like pure hip hop in the sense that like there is this coming at you, deal with it quality to him. I love that contrast of kind of in your face, the kind of confrontation that can surround the genre with a kind of like class clown element. I think he's the kind of guy who lights up a room and cheers you up wherever you are, but that he cannot be ignored, right? He like demands to be seen. I think it's just a unique combination. So I I went with the kind of contrast of deal with it hip hop attitude coupled with total goofball for my number two. I want to break it down just a little bit. So the contrast with deal with it, what was your wording? Watching the videos, I mean, he's he's sort of doing the kind of posturing that all the 80s rappers were doing, you know, marching at the camera with a kind of, I'm coming at you and you got to handle it, posturing. Which I think is like core to what hip hop is. Yes. You rarely see that sort of coupled with comedy, but not parody. There's a lightheartedness about that. I think lighthearted confrontation overall is an interesting like sort of stance to have when dealing with the world. I think you're right. And that goes back to the innovative in the obituary, but he's certainly not the only one to do that. If you looked at kind of early run DMC, you look at what yeah. we now know as Will Smith, the original Fresh Prince, and way more recently things like Childish Gambino and Little Dicky. And a lot of that is born out of this era that Bismarcky was a part of introducing. But there's also echoes of, I think, early, it's like kind of 70s, the origins of rap and hip-hop when you look at Grandmaster Flash and that sort of jokingness. I guess I just want to say one more thing about my number two. As we go on with Famous and Gravy, I think I really like these contrasts in people. When two things exist that are seemingly contradictory, but that exist in a sort of symbiotic state, I think that makes people more interesting, right? It, it, it rounds them out. It gives them dimension and sides. So... I think it's something I want to be looking for 
you know, in five things going forward. There's a word that they've assigned for it that's even used in psychological settings, dialectical. Yeah, huh. Right, that you can be part of one and part of another. And I think that gets really important as we get into things like mixed race and gender issues, but, you know, even things like personality traits and music style. This idea of fitting into categories is, you know, we don't want it anymore. It's going by the wayside. You're a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I think yeah. what you're saying about Bismarck Key is that he was an, an early example of that. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up uh, the dialectic and Hegel. Why don't you take number three? Number three, my headline's going to be, he pulled a George Michael. But the story's <laughs> going to be better than that. So you're familiar with the lawsuit, right? I am. I figured we'd be talking about yeah, this. Yeah, so this is actually like one of the biggest moments in hip-hop history, if not music history. So the album with Just a Friend came out in 1989. Mm -hmm. Bismarck's follow-up album was called I Need a Haircut, which came out in 1991. It had a song on it called Alone Again, which sampled a song from, let's call him George O'Sullivan. That is at least 70% of his name. Yeah, Sullivan's one of the names. And the guy sued him. And he won. And this was a sort of landmark case that set precedent for all future rap music and all. Right. All of a sudden. I mean, and the judge like threw the fucking book at Bismarck. It actually sounded a little bit like the judge was trying to make a statement about how not okay it was that there was this culture of sampling in rap music and like scolded him and said, you have to clear everything from now on. And this changed hip-hop. It was a precedent-setting case, and Bismarck, he was fined, I think, $250,000, but more importantly, all of his records had to be pulled off the shelves, all of his unsold records. So this was a pretty big turning point in what would have been a good financial trajectory for Bismarck, and really puts him at, you know, the center of hip-hop history as being this scapegoat. So the thing I was actually going to point to of the thing I loved about him was his follow-up album to that he called it All Samples Cleared. And that's what I like it. That is so Bismarcky-like and just like a little nod to fuck you, Judge, and fuck you, O'Sullivan. And I'm calling this album All Samples Cleared. And where this is a George Michael moment was, do you remember, I think this was your Malkovich moment in our George Michael episode 13. George Michael was, you know, after he had kind of come out or was known that he was openly gay, he was the subject of a sting operation in Los Angeles in which a undercover cop um, arrested him for an act of lewdness. Yeah, um, solicitation or something, right? Yes, and so George Michael was publicly embarrassed, arrested, and as a follow-up, George Michael's next video was essentially parroting the entire thing and poking fun at the cop, and it was kind of a fuck you cop type of video. And right. what Bismarcky did here in his next album was fuck you judge or fuck you judicial system. Uh, All samples cleared. Yes, and so I like yeah. that about him. It's good number three, Ahmed. Okay, I'll take number four. This is a little generic, but I think it's important. Gratitude. This guy seems to have a lot of gratitude. I think gratitude is an important emotion. I think it's an important thing to bring into life. Where I got to thinking about this is, did you come across this Washington Post article from, I believe it was 2018, it was fairly late. It was a profile of Bismarcky, and uh, he says, I'm one of the unsung heroes. It's like I'm part of hip hop, but sometimes I'm forgotten. It's beautiful because it means all eyes ain't on me. So when I do pop up, they appreciate everything they see. It's like the McRib sandwich. <laughs> I think that he seems to be pretty happy about his place in hip-hop history, how he keeps showing up, how he does have all these cameos and appearances on Yo Gabba Gabba and on 
we'll talk about it later, but the the celebrity weight loss show, you know, cameo in Men in Black, the collaboration with the Beastie Boys, on and on. You know, I think that this is really true. He seems kind of forgotten. He shows up and everybody's happy to see him. And I think he's just grateful for that. I see a man who's living a life that, at least publicly, leans towards, I'm really happy with how things are going and how it's turned out for me. I know that's a little bit generic, but I'm not sure we see public displays of gratitude that really feel heartfelt to me, especially given how high and how not high he went in terms of status yeah. and, and recognizability. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. huge. And absolutely desirable. Yeah, I really, really like that. That resonates with me. You take number five. Okay, I'm going to go with just how biz he was. The biz was so biz. And if I'm going to put it into better wordings, it's authentic to character. The best quote I found to start off is, you know, he did a bunch of work with the Beastie Boys. And Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys, he said, I did not expect the biz to be as biz-like as he was. He goes, you better have the tape running when the biz is around. He's an all-freestyle, off-the-dome kind of artist. So the man had his, like eccentricities, the way that he was known for this kind of parroting, childlike, joyous behavior was all around him all the time. So the Beastie Boys also told the story of when he first came to studio to meet them, he said, yo, you know where there's a candy store? And the Beastie Boys were all like, oh, they got to get some drugs for Biz Marquis. And they're like, he's like, no, I need some Tootsie Rolls and Snickers. Um, <laughs> and, you know, his music is so frequently, although we say self-deprecating, it really is joyous. You know, when you talk about yeah. picking boogers or even if you take things like The Vapors and Just a Friend. So he fed this off of the way that he lived and he was a collector of just some crazy stuff. They said yeah. that he had a museum-worthy collection. I collect a lot of things and some things I just like to be next to me. I got every Jordan that ever came out, every sneaker that is cool to me that came out. I got every toy, records I got about, 75 to 80,045. I got every Barbie doll that ever came out. I got trailer trash Barbie. I got, is that a real Barbie? Yes, I can show you. Uh, I got trailer trash Barbie. I got uh, racist Barbies. I got- uh, Racist Barbies. This is one of the last interviews he did and he goes on at length about his Barbie collection. <laughs> it's not so. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, but um, it's so lovable. I think it's actually been handed over to a museum in New York. Whether this is true or not, he said, I got to have two houses, one for the biz to live in and one for the business collection. Uh, I don't know beautiful. if he actually had two houses in like a Larry McMurtry type of way. Yeah. Uh, as I said, that he always had that archive. They use the word archive kicking around so it was always in his imagination. And you could hear that in his endlessly inventive rhymes. That's where the love part is, is that that was an archive for his imagination. Let's recap here. So what did you have for number one? I said sing-along artist, i.e. country music parallel. I tagged vulnerability in with there because there was something on my list that seemed to fit in there. Then I said kind of contrast of deal with it hip-hop attitude coupled with total goofballness. Then number three, you I said, had... pulled a George Michael and saying, fuck you, judge, following lawsuit. My number four was pure gratitude, and your number five was... Just how busy he was, 24-hour character. All right. 
Category three. Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a little portal into John Malkovich's mind and they can have a front row seat to his experiences. You want me to go first? Yeah, why don't you? I feel like I often go first. Mine's pretty simple, and I'm not going super deep here. This came up in a few places, including in the New York Times article. He was said to have once given his high school vice principal a cake laced with laxatives. (laughs) This is pure dumb and dumber. This is the kind of prank I really would have wanted to do in high school and would not have had the balls to do. I want to be there the moment he hands over the laxative-laced cake to the vice principal. I don't know what happened of this story. I saw it mentioned a few times. I just want to be the behind the eyes for actually the whole experience. To Baking the, the cake in the kitchen. Thing. Yeah, you got the Betty Crocker, you know, mix in your kitchen with buttermilk and everything. And <laughs> you load it up with laxatives and the laughing to yourself at that moment. And then the handing it like... I baked this cake for you. I don't have enough details about this story. I'm not sure I need a lot. I just want to be behind the eyes. Beautiful. Thank you. I I can't even think of like the loosest, no pun intended, crossover at all between yours and mine. You go. You're Malkovich. Mine is his performances in the Tibetan Freedom Concerts. So a series of concerts held in the mid to late 90s when Tibetan Freedom was a big celebrity issue uh, Mm -hmm. brought to the United States a lot and a lot of benefit concerts done in the same way that um, kind of Live Aid was done in the 80s. So the two major American ones were a 96 show in San Francisco and a 97 one in New York, both of which Bismarcky was a part of. And why is it in Malkovich? So I'll tell you, so it's his performances specifically, and I'm going to use specific quotes to extract from it to try to create the scene from it. So in 96, so this woman, Erin Potts, who was uh, one of the organizers of the event and one of the leaders of kind of the American free Tibet movement. Uh, And so she says that, well, first of all, the biz didn't fly. This I didn't know about him, and this was the only reference I saw to that. So they had to get him a Greyhound bus ticket and called him five days before to remind him to get on the bus. And he shows up in his gray sweatsuit and just crushes it, is one of the top performances of the entire Tibetan Freedom Festival. And then Sarah Perorizic, I'm just going to read verbatim what she said about Biz's performance because I don't think I could say it any better. She says, Biz really brought the fun to it, but in a way that also made the crowd think about Tibet. He started beatboxing, and then he was like, you say free, you say Tibet, and beatboxing over it. It was hysterical, and Biz started doing this twisty little dance. He had charisma coming out of every pore of his body, and the whole crowd went mental. If you were the most apolitical person in the world, you'd go home and go, free Tibet. In China, people would be put in prison for saying free Tibet. So every time Biz shouted free Tibet, it was an incredible political statement. I don't know that I need to even add any more to that to to explain why that is a Malkovich moment. Wow. That is triumphant. That is incredible. Everybody say free Tibet. Free Tibet. Say free Tibet. Tibet. Oh, I never forget. Peace. Peace. And so then the follow-up to the Tibetan Freedom Concert, the New York one, held the following year. This, again, I'm really uh, upset that I couldn't find tape of this. If anyone does, please send it our way to hello at famousandgravy.com. He shows up on stage wearing an Afro wig with a Dayglow guitar and did an entire human beatbox version of Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner. Holy cow. Yeah. God, that has to be out there somewhere. I couldn't find it. That is beautiful. 
But to make it Malkovich, this, I think it's I the mean, power of you know this is this is going back to my number one of using yeah. his sing along ability to bring a crowd together and actually get into people's hearts to move them towards a cause or at least think about something. Yeah. You know, wielding that power of his sing along and his charisma and yeah, actually fully like, alive. Yeah, and and mm. turn it into activism. You know, yeah. but in but in this like fucking like funny, I'm taking a bus in a gray jumpsuit and putting on a Afro wig, uh, biz kind of way. That's beautiful. I love that Malkovich. Okay, let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Michael, do you know one of the ways in which I'm cool? <laughs> what did you have in mind? I have vinyl records. Oh, that is cool. Vinyl records are a lot of fun. I love studying the old covers, and I love that the music is actually on the record, right? It's like been engraved. Totally, and you will never guess where I buy my vinyl records from. I would assume that you are going to garage sales. That is incorrect. I exclusively get my vinyl records at Half Price Books. I'm sorry, you said Half Price Books? That and is you're correct. talking about vinyl records? Yes, Half Price Books is more than books. Board games, vinyl records, CDs, movies, puzzles, and even brand new bestsellers. My goodness. It's so much more than just books. Yes. But when it comes to books, I do know that Half Price Books is the nation's largest new and used bookseller with 120 stores in 19 states. And Half Price Books is also online at hpb.com. Let's go on. Category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? I found this kind of surprising. What I saw was one marriage to Tara in 2018. Uh, they were very private. Biz was 54, and he you know, dies at 57. So they're married a little over three years. She had a child from a previous relationship, but there were no kids together. But So he is a stepdad to uh, one of Tara's children who was an activist. Yeah, her name's Avery. She's uh, did a lot in the Black Lives Matter movement. Apparently he was close to her, and then also... Tara had a niece that he was also close to. I see. And that's it. And right? Did you see anything else? Like, it was actually hard to get data on this. Yeah, extremely private. I mean, no signs of any marriages prior. And no kids. 
and no kids. And yeah. uh, but we don't even know much about relationships afterwards. I mean, I don't think him and blah 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 ever worked out. I asked her, her name, she said blah blah blah. <laughs> I mentioned the song earlier, What Goes Around Comes Around, which I feel like what I heard in the song What Goes Around is kind of vindication, right? Because one day I'ma make it and you be wanting me. Been trying hard ever since I graduated to make it big and yes, I finally made it. Been sick with your videos and TV. Now everywhere you go, everybody knows me. Now the tables have turned and now it's me, your whore. So I can't imagine that there wasn't opportunity for lasting meaningful relationships, but I, I don't see it. I mean, I just, I have nothing to go on here. I hardly know what to say. One of the reasons we have these categories is to try and extract uh, desirability in places. When there's an absence of information like there is here, you know, do we draw conclusions either way or do we just sort of leave it? What we can say is, yes, it's quite sad that he died three years to the date, almost after his marriage. Um, he did at least everything that we read and that Tara said is that he was a wonderful stepfather for that time um, yeah. and step-uncle, if there's such a thing. Mostly, I need to leave this as a question mark and look at other categories to see where to extract desirability. Category five, net worth. This was a little confusing to me. I saw one million. Is that what you saw? I saw one. I also saw three. So it's going to be somewhere yeah, between one and three. That's what I was going to say. In that Washington Post article from 2019 I mentioned, he's asked about having three million. Like the word on the street is he has three million. And he says, no, it's way more than that. I don't know. It's hard to say. You mentioned earlier some of the collections, which I assume have their own value. But it also, you know, anybody who's collecting like that is spending a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. It's it's a fairly low number. It's not a bad number. He's got enough for security and uh, and so forth. But I don't know. Seemed kind of low. If somebody, it seemed kind of low. What I make out of it is exactly what you said that he he was a spender, and I think that's yeah. a whole part of just what this whole character of the biz is. You know, he sees something, he gets it. It gives him joy. It gives him influence. And you know, you you do, you don't take money to save it. You you take money to spend it. I guess um, that's true. If it's much less than one million, though, then my heart's starting to break, and I'm starting to wonder, right? If it's less than one million for somebody who's had this kind of success, even if it was decades ago, every time he steps on stage, people cheer and excited to know who he is. It would have been a little weird if it was at less than a million, don't you think? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. But I mean, he did not sell that many albums. But yeah, I don't know. Still on the lower side. Not lower side by global standards, but by fame standards. Correct. Fame and wealth don't always coexist, even in, when, in the ways that we look at it. And I think it gets back to what I was saying earlier about gratitude. I mean, I see him as a guy who's happy, right? And so does he need more money? I don't know. It's it like, I kind of like it too, in a funny way, even if it feels a little bit low based on his stature. All right, let's move on. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Hall of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. I went 0 for 3 here, Amit, and unless I'm missing something, I didn't see anything on Saturday Night Live. I really looked. I didn't see anything on The Simpsons, and I was a little surprised by that. But then I thought, you know, Just a Friend, the song kind of predates The Simpsons, late 80s. I mean, The Simpsons didn't really start to warm up as an institution until the early 90s. And then no halls, not even Arsenio. That's shocking. 
that shocked me as well. I it, it maybe it's out there and it's not well cataloged on the internet, but I really tried to find an appearance on Arsenio Hall. Did not see it. So maybe the timing's a little bit off there as well. I don't know. I, and I think that usually, you know, this category is a pretty good general pulse, you know, on how famous somebody is. I felt like our category fell short here. There are people who are way into Yo Gabba Gabba that I didn't know. There yeah, are people parents, who really parents remember. Parents age, definitely. Hey, kids, <laughs> just gather around for business beat of the day. I'm going to teach you some sounds. You guys did great. People who really remember his cameo in Men in Black 2. It's one of the funniest parts of that movie in a way. Oh! Just about everybody works in a post office as an alien. And I think his association and friendship with the Beastie Boys looms large for some people. So overall, I think he is more famous than what we would otherwise take from this category, even if he's not, you know, on the, necessarily the Mount Rushmore of famous hip-hop artists. Yeah, I, but I think he's also a little dated. I think despite Yo Gabba Gabba and Men in Black 2 and all, like these chart toppers were all late 80s, early 90s. And so I could kind of see that. I don't think our categories completely invalidate this. I think he had all the cameos, but I think he's a little under the radar and he's in a different, he's in his own tier of uh, of a hip hop star. I mean, that's the thing is like you really, and I, I didn't find the YouTube super clip of the Bismarcky cameos, but there would be a, like a 30 minute string easily, right? Of all the places he's popping up kind of throughout television history for, you know, 30 years. Yeah, correct. Empire, Blackish, SpongeBob, SquarePants, Celebrity Fit Club, you referenced. Yeah. And I'll cap it with uh, who's sampled by the Rolling Stones in their uh, 1997 song, Anybody Seen My Baby. Okay. Uh, Let's go on. Category seven, over under. In this category, we look at the generalized life expectancy for the year somebody was born to see if they beat the house odds and as a measure of grace. So life expectancy for men in the U.S. in 1964, the year he was born, is 75.5. He died at age 57, way under, by about 18 years. I got some things I want to talk about in this category. You know, we've mentioned a couple of times Celebrity Fit Club. Uh, he was on it in 2005, and he actually won it, season one, for having lost 40 pounds. I do think he struggled with his weight. He had a stroke and went into a diabetic coma in April of 2020, so a full year before he died. That was, of course, the height of lockdown. The Instagram post I saw him of June 2021, he didn't look like a guy who had suffered a serious stroke. I didn't see outward physical signs of that. But this is, I think, other than maybe George Michael, the youngest death we have yet done on Famous and Gravy. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Here's my question. We've been on a streak with the last few episodes of people who have died a little bit younger. Bill Buckner, Donna Summer. Alan Rickman, Gary Shandling. The topic of younger deaths has been coming up more. I'm wondering if it's fucked up in a way for us to be talking about that in terms of desirability. We don't get to choose our death, man. 
57 is absolutely young. The man died before his time. He should have had more life, and this hurts. Maybe he suffered from conditions that we don't completely understand. The diabetic coma thing makes me wonder, and Lord knows he talks about candy a lot. It's not hard to imagine a, a less than healthy diet. That, I guess, is within his control. But to the extent that you and I say this is too young and that's desirable or that's not, I'm not sure if we're actually doing what we should be doing on Famous and Gravy because it's about the decisions you make during your life. And there's something about the young death conversation you and I have been having that I feel like may be just a little bit off in terms of how we're approaching it. I hear you. Um, so what you're saying is that, you know, as as we get to the Vanderbeek, that it's it's an unfair factoring. Um, because yeah. you look at a death here, it was 57. That should be an ace of spades no in terms of desirability is what you're saying. Right. The way we have been talking about it is the universe or God or whatever decided your time is up. But I, I guess maybe one of the reasons I've been thinking about this is that I don't think we're entitled to anything on life. I was talking with a friend the other day who just had somebody pass away in their 40s. He's got young children, and it's like, fuck me, this is devastating. And I don't know, you and I are getting into a place in life where death is becoming a little bit more common around some of the, you know, not necessarily our peer group. I'm just getting more used to the fact that this is a reality. We live in this culture where we pretend like it's never going to fucking happen. And that, you know, by the time we make it to our deathbed, our story is supposed to be quote unquote complete. And it doesn't fucking work that way, right? We don't get that. It's unpredictable. It's unfair. And it's always kind of tragic, even if you make it to a Judge Wapner, you know, well into your late 80s or 90s. So yeah, I, you, you said it well a second ago, should this factor heavily into the Vanderbeek if, if we're talking about raw number of years? You went no on the Vanderbeek for Donna Summer because you decided you're just too young. It just felt too not tragic okay. for me on that. On that yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not that I disagree, but it's always tragic. I don't know. I just, I wonder if we're getting any closer to comfort or acceptance of the inevitability of death as we go on with this show. Because I secretly, that's something I kind of want to get to, recognizing just how hard it is to wrap your head around the unfathomable unknown, you know? Let's do it today. Let's extract that from the Vanderbeek because, you know, he died at 57 from complications of type 2 diabetes. No matter what, uh, I don't think either of us are going to want that life. So what right. we have to do is, uh, you know, how well did he do that the with the time that he had, uh, which is also, you know, a little tough because he didn't know when the ending was coming. And what he did in his 50, had Bismarck, he died in 2021, but had somehow magically defied the rules of time and logic and had been 85. How does that change things in a way, you know? Maybe I'm not going anywhere with this thought, and maybe death is just too confusing to have this conversation. I, I guess I want us to crack open our thinking a little bit in terms of, you know, how we classify and talk about young deaths on this show. And I think all we can do is just experiment and evolve because I think you're right. It's very imperfect. You know, ideally, we get to a point that every category has changed somewhat into our North Star of figuring out what is the type of life that we would desire, but more importantly, that our listeners can extract that they may desire. And let's just, let's try that today. Given the cards you were dealt, how did you play it? I mean, that seems to me the most interesting and important thing about what we're doing. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. This is too young. There's no question. I don't think we need to debate that. 
how much we probe the desirability to me is just another question. But we'll keep talking about it. Okay. All yeah. Right. Good let's, point. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's pause. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Danielle Steele. Oh, <laughs> alive. The rules are simple. Dead or alive. Danielle Steele is still with us at 74 years old. Dick Cavett. I think Dick Cavett is dead. Uh, incorrect. Dick Cavett is still with us at 85 years old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Test your knowledge. Deadoraliveapp.com. The first of the inner life categories is man in the mirror. What did this person think about their own reflection? You know, he's got this sort of slack jaw that hangs a little bit to the side. His mouth is open a lot. And goofball, that term has come up quite a bit. I also see self-acceptance in a way. I mean, I think he kind of knows, you know, his look and the look he's given you. I mean, I I feel like he's self-aware. You know, we did mention the weight struggles. I haven't actually watched the Celebrity uh, Fit Club programming, but I have to assume if you go on the TV show, you're there to lose weight. And part of that is health, but maybe that's also about physical appearance. I, I went overall, he liked it. Um, and I think I, that's coming from the confidence that I see in his stage presence. But I'm a little bit on the fence with this one. Yeah, I'm more resounding of a yes that he does like it, is that I don't think you can do the type of body performance and the onstage performance that he does unless you have a lot of self-acceptance of your body and your look. I don't think you can, you know, all the self-deprecating things that he did, I think that there is some insecurity behind that. I'm not sure it's in looks, though. 
And, yeah. you know, just you watch the videos, especially like the Just a Friend video is, is worth the rewatch of him in the Mozart <laughs> yeah. outfit. You know, like there, there definitely is self-acceptance yeah. in that. And I think that that's the half of the Clown Prince that it is. It's just like I'm put on this earth and I, I this is what I look like and this is who I am and this is how I'm making the most of it. And that that, is- that's why I'm giving a yes. Such a memorable video. <laughs> like him as Mozart. Yes. Oh, God, it's so good. Okay, next category, outgoing message. Like Man in the Mirror, how do we think they felt about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on their answering machine or outgoing voicemail? I actually had a little bit more confident, resounding yes here. I said no question. He loved it. Speech impediment and all. Yeah. I think that we've talked in the past about, you know, whether it's Kenny Rogers or Tom Petty or or other singers, Sean Prine, how they felt about their singing voice compared with their talking voice, that those two things don't always go together. But I think if you're a hip-hop artist, then it's a little bit more likely they're part of the same. Yeah. More likely. His non-singing voice, like his interview voice, does come across a little more bashful. You know, yeah. like like we say, the willingness to sing off key. And the second part of the question is about, are you the type to record your own? And that's a question generally about self-importance and accessibility and and are you giving? Are you giving with your time? And that part, I think, is unquestionably yes. So I think both sides of me are pretty strong for a yes. Do you think he uh, beatboxed on his home answering machine? I think I tried to beatbox on my home answering machine. Like I was going to ask, have you? What is your experience with beatboxing? I went down a little bit of a w- rabbit hole on this because one of the, I, I guess maybe I'm a little embarrassed to say this because I was working, you know, in a room by myself as I was preparing for this interview. I'm like, I'm just going to try it a little bit, and I couldn't catch my breath, so I wound up on a little video like, how do you breathe in and out? You know, I mean, it's a little bit of how you play a horn, right? How do you do the breath work when beatboxing? Because there's a real art to it. Oh, yeah. Did you beatbox? I think I did it, like, just with my friends on sleepovers and all. I think yeah. anybody around our age did, if you were Had to male. give it a shot. Yeah. yeah these were the, this was the age that we all did, and then you started to see over the next 20 years, like, these the terrible, like, corporate parodies of it. You know, right. just we all tried it. But I, yeah. I believe in the, the depth of the skill of it. I mean, to turn the body into percussion is kind of incredible. Like, it's cool, you know? Totally. Um, uh, okay, let's move on. Category 10, regrets, public or private? What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night? I couldn't find a lot here. I We talked earlier about the sampling scandal. I think that's more a badge of honor than a regret. But I did think that that was worth talking about. And then on the private side, I continue to have question marks about the home life. Not a lot of data on marriages. That's all I had. Did you have something else in regrets? Yeah, I I also had on the home life just because we don't know, um, you know, what he didn't marry until he was 54 years old. Uh, Was there anything internal that was contributing to that? And then, you know, we talk about Candy and a guy that contracted diabetes. It's easy to make some assumptions there. there. Um, And so you wonder if that's a regret the same way that Leonard Demoy regretted smoking. Um, Yes. I couldn't find a lot else. Yeah. I think that's telling. I mean, I think it gets back to the, you never know if it's posturing or if it's real, but it gets back to my thing about gratitude, I think. The guy was always around in some form through and through. And he was, you know, he never reinvented himself as far as who he was, but he reinvented where he showed up. He was he was always around. I I saw him also saying, uh, "I'm I'm one of those people that fits in everywhere." 
he was asked once, which was your favorite parody of Just a Friend? He's like, when Jeff Goldblum did it, I thought that was really good. And <laughs> he does look very comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't look like somebody who has a tremendous amount of regret. Which I think is maybe not a bad segue into category 11, good dreams, bad dreams. This question is not about personal perception, but rather does this person look haunted? Do they have a look in the eye that suggests inner turmoil, inner demons, or unresolved trauma? Well, I keep going first. You go first this time. There's a little look in the eye. There's a little look in the eye. That's, I had the same thing. I'm so glad you went there. Faint. Uh, we don't, you know, there was not a lot told about his childhood. I don't right. know what, if there's anything contributing there. I do um, think adolescence was hard. I did, like, reading between the lines, I mean, he may have had friends, but I don't think he did very well with girls. I don't think he, if he's pulling pranks on the vice principal, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. But I, I see something in the eye, too. It sounds like you do. Yeah, so I see something, and I... Can't pinpoint. I, the most we can do is speculate what you said. You know, younger hardship, teenage angst and exclusion, all of those could be his pain. And yet I still want to go good dreams and believe that the humor is real and that the balance around being self-deprecating is real and that the gratitude is real. I go back to the word joyous in that, which yeah. was used to describe him, and that's where I believe good dreams. He's the classic from tragedy to triumph. Not tragedy, so to speak, but from rags to riches. Because Biz had nothing. Started with nothing. And he knew that he was different, but he made fun of himself so he could shed light on a subject. It was almost self-sacrificial. We almost thought like, you know, do you want to highlight that? But it was him bearing himself. And it made him, you know, accessible. Well, and that's what's interesting to me is that we are coincidentally aligned, like perfectly. We both see something and we both went good. Yeah. I, I guess that tells you something. Consensus matters. It's the scientific method. All right. Category 12, second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. This is where we ask, which one would we most want to do with our dead celebrity? This may be a question of what kind of drug sounds like the most fun to partake or another philosophy is that a particular kind of drug might allow access to a, a part of them that we are most curious about. I'll go. Uh, a question for you first. Was he a weed guy? I don't know. I didn't see it. I, I mean, there's no I, you references know, in the music. There's not. Whenever anybody is uh, good with kids in a way that I think he is good with kids, but there's a part of me that thinks they got to like getting high. Because <laughs> just being stoned, I think kids make any, a lot more any sense. Any adult when you're on high. Nickelodeon? <laughs> yes. I'm not encouraging anything. I'm just saying. But yeah, I don't know that he's a weed guy. I, but what do you got for coffee or cocktail cannabis? Cocktail. So there's an image in the documentary, I think the documentary that we both watched, which they're interviewing Biz. He's on a couch, and it seems like he's drinking a glass of um, some sort of whiskey. I don't know what it is. And that that kind of lit something up in me, and that's uh, this isn't an access thing. That's how I want to hang with him, but I think there's also access in just learning, uh, learning how to experience joy and uh, and let go of it all. So you think there's wisdom or something to extract? You know, I don't even know if it's wisdom in terms of, like, sitting you down and, and giving you a lesson uh, so much as just, like, feel feel my energy and feel my vibe, and that's where you get it. So that's what I want, and I just, like, we know he's funny. We know he brings an energy. We know he'll start 
rhyming and that you'll start singing along with him. But some of the other stuff I saw was like, he would just say just madcap shit. Like in some interview in that documentary, they asked him, they're like, hey, Biz, have you ever met Michael Jackson? He was like, yeah, man, I wrote Thriller. (laughs) And he would just like, just say outlandish stuff. And I think he's just... uh, I think he was just always on. And so I think it's going to be this combination of, of music and Good energy. And I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have that kind of like 12-year-old fun that I had when I first heard Vapors or Just a Friend. But I'm going to do it as an adult uh, with some drinks. And I'm going to add that little extra element of, of I hate to say it, but substance to that. Uh, and that, that's the hang I want. All other things being equal, I thought I was going to go cannabis. I actually want the coffee. Some of it is residual curiosity. I want to know a little bit more about the love life, I guess. But more than anything, like, I think I would really enjoy a conversation with him about the history of hip-hop. I think I'd like to know what the scene was like in the early 80s, what it was like as this sort of, you know, new artistic movement kind of is coming into being. It's sort of in its, like, late childhood, early adolescence uh, in terms of the maturity of what hip-hop was and what it became. And I think that... You know, I'd be really interested to talk with him about where it went and and his views on where it went and, you know, certainly how he sees his own position and everything and contribution. And then I think along the way, he'd probably crack me up. I think he's just a funny fucking dude. So I think it'd be like, an, like a nice, energetic conversation with probably a pretty strong cup of coffee. I forget the episode you mentioned, sort of taking a walk with somebody and having a cup of coffee. That's what I'd love to do with Bismarcky. Like a nice day in New York. I'd love to grab a cup of coffee, walk around the neighborhood, have him show me the sights a little bit, and, and take me back into the history of all this and, you know, help me understand it. Um, yeah. I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think I'd also would be a nice way to get some questions answered because I do have some questions here. Not big ones, but they're there. And I want to know more about, you know, inner peace, whether he got it or how far he got with it, right? I mean, that's something I'm always kind of looking for with somebody whose life is now complete and done. So, yeah, I'd like the coffee. Yeah. All right, we're here. The Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said, I don't want your life. Ahmet, Bismarcky, do you want this life? So to me, the question is about goofball and about being kind of this lifetime goofball. Um, yeah. Because he's got the check marks of everything else. Like, he's got the pure admiration tremendously. You know, everyone wants him on their tracks or on stage with him. The life experiences just between doing everything from, you know, Nickelodeon to a blockbuster film to the rap shows and the Tibetan concerts. Like, the guy's done a lot and uh, and seen a lot and met a lot. This is a journeyman. Yeah. And so uh, the question to me is, is the 57 years of kind of being a goofball, and I think uh, an interesting way to put it would be like, it's it's kind of the Tinkerbell question. What do you mean by the Tinkerbell question? So it's like this kid that doesn't grow up. And we know he did. We know he did get married, you know, and in that private life, it could very well be, um, well, who who even cares? Who even no, but cares? are you but are you asking about like evolution? That's a question is, is do you want to be still a goofball into your 50s. That's funny. Um, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about some, we've only done a, a couple of stand-up comics on the show and we need to do more because I do think with Joan Rivers and with Gary Shandling, we certainly talked about, you know, comedy as as liberation, as, as, a, as a method for seeking truth. I don't 
and 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 so you could draw a kind of similar parallel here, maybe, in that the guy is about being funny, and he's a funny guy, and his music is funny, and when he shows up, we're here to laugh, and he lights up a room with laughter. But it doesn't quite seem like the same motivation that a stand-up comic has, where a stand-up is really like digging for meaning and, and, and truth. This seems more about like we might as well laugh because life is short, painful, and hard, and there's a lot of funny shit to laugh about. So it, it seems more like about an attitude than it does about a, you know, sort of strategy for dealing with life's ups and downs. Yeah, it's we might as well celebrate. You know, we might as well celebrate the things that we can. Exactly. Uh, so the the question is, is it important to evolve into something else? Because the idea of being an adult child is extremely scorned. But is that fair, right? Because somebody that emanates and attracts joy for their entire life uh, like, who the fuck can fall to that? Like, who cares if it lives to a standard? Like, for for so many people, joy is, is so hard to achieve to name one joyous part of their life. And this is a guy with a house full of, of little articles of joy. And, uh, you know, and they, they you know, he, he, he steps on stage on a Tibetan Freedom concert in 96. And he, he brings out joy after Rage Against the Machine, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I just don't like it. I don't like the pejorative of the Tinkerbell problem. You know, I, I don't want to be that. I don't think I have the personality for that of being sort of the child that never grew up. I don't think there's anything wrong, and I think it's extremely desirable to emanate and attract joy uh, your entire life and to get the same joy out of a lunchbox as a 55-year-old that a 10-year-old does, but you're still a person that is self-sufficient. You're still a person that's making millions of dollars. You're still a person that's making an impact on the music world and on individual lives, there's some tremendous qualities in that guy. Yeah, uh, fucking A. And fucking so I, A. Well said. Yeah, yeah so I, I really got to like him a lot more, I think, over the last few weeks. And and I want to say, you know, just just for biz, like, fuck the Tinkerbell problem, you know? And let's yeah. just change it, change it into the joy equation. And this guy is joy, and I'll take it. So, yeah, I want your life, Bismarcky. I think I 100% agree. The other thing I was thinking about in there is that it really does sort of stand in contrast to Maurice Sendak. That episode we did uh, about where the wild things are, where there's a kind of intellectualizing around the pain of what it means to lose innocence and be a child. This is the good parts, and it's embodied, and it's lived. What he's doing behaviorally, not necessarily intellectually, that's what matters, right? And and it is surrounded by a lot of joy. I have no doubt there are painful moments. I have no doubt there's insecurity. I have no doubt there's like some darkness that we don't know, understand, or are seeing. But that he's looking for joy and trying to bring it everywhere he goes, I want to do that too. It's decidedly desirable, and it's a beautiful fucking thing. So I am also a yes on the Vanderbeek, despite the young age. Ahmed. You are Marcel Theo Hall, better known as Biz Marquis. You've died. Uh, you are before the pearly gates with uh, St. Peter, the Unitarian proxy for the afterlife. You have an opportunity to make a pitch. The floor is yours. 
Okay, St. Peter, my name is uh, is Biz, and I got that name because I was always busy uh, getting into trouble. But uh, we're talking about the right kind of trouble. We're not talking about gang violence, sex, drugs. Uh, we're talking about the pranks and the picking boogers type of trouble. And just as you can pick boogers, you can pick fun. You can pick joy. And if you can't do it, what I did in my life is I got on stage and I got you to sway and I got you to sing along and I got you to chant and I got a little bit of that joy coming out. And if I wasn't present in the room, then my song was playing overhead on the speaker and you started singing along and that joy started coming out. I was the imminence of joy. I was the collector of joy. I left joy behind and I'm going to bring joy into those pearly gates and there better be candy there. Let me in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please tell your friends about us. Help spread the word. Find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Famous and Gravy. And we also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, FamousAndGravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Jacob Weiss. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. Thanks for listening. See you next time.